Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider with Pete Sampson from The Athletic. I'm Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. It's Thursday, December 7th, and um, a lot going on, as we have found out now, as we go into December's here in recent years. Uh, uh, Xavier Watts, it's amazing it, when you think about where Xavier Watts came from, from really Game 7. Uh, of the the 2023 season, he won the Nagurski Award in the last five games of the year. Yeah, and I, I think that does happen more than we know. But we just know his first three and a half years compared to other people's first three and a half years. And I tried to ask him the question without being disrespectful on the on the call. It's like you were moved to a position for which you were in no way qualified, Rover. He was literally moved from scout team receiver to Rover two years ago, and now he's the nation's national defensive player of the year. For a nine and three team, you know how hard it is to be the national defensive player of the year, and you're not going to a, you're not going to a secondary tier bowl. <laughs> you're going to the yeah. lowest you could go no, to. It, it was the USC game. I mean, it and, was and, Pitt, and then back to back, people right, noticed. Right, like, right. Oh my god, but I did it again against Pitt. Yeah, everybody in the nation knew about his performance against USC. Yeah, yeah. I think I, that generally does it for people that win awards. It just but then you've incredible. got prime time against Duke. He had a pick. Yeah, NC State the week before had a pick. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it wasn't just like he had one great game, but he did have one Maurice Crum us UCLA style game that you couldn't stop talking about. Um, but yeah, it's just an incredible, I mean, you think about the move to linebacker. I, it just popped into my head. You're like one, I forgot that he even moved to linebacker. Yeah, Pete um, texts me during this. He's like, Oh my God, I did not know he moved. I forgot. He moved. Not, I did not know. I just I forgot, forgot he, he ever played Rover. I mean, that's like. Remember John Turner when he moved from safety to linebacker in yeah. spring practice? That's what or it maybe is. it was vice versa. I don't know. Like, that's sort of where Xavier Watts' career was. Uh, and then, boom, he's National Defensive Player of the Year. It's just – and you just look at the guys who have won that award. I realized it wasn't – there wasn't like a Will Anderson in college this year. There wasn't a Manti Teo in college this year. But Aaron Donald, Luke Keekley, and you're just like, holy crap. What – I mean, what a season. Um you know, and now he's on every All-American list, and we'll see if he can go back-to-back next year. My my point was that six games through the – as they went into the USC game, he had 29 tackles, two interceptions, and three passes broken up. He was playing good football. Yeah. But you wouldn't – I mean, it it took that spectacular USC performance to to for everybody to know who Xavier Watts was. And then from there, yes, following up. He did have – he did pick Riley Leonard on Riley Leonard's first pass of the game, right? And then he had a late pick against yeah, Leonard. State. They drove right down and scored, didn't they? Uh, okay, All right, but it was, but it was, yeah, he had a big it, one. Yeah, and he had a he had a real late as the turnovers hit in the fourth quarter at NC State. He had, I think that one that he dove forward for and 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 grabbed. But uh, yeah, it, it was meteoric and uh, it was deserving. He was he was absolutely tremendous, especially the second half of the season. There's a, there's a downside though, Tim. Next time someone on the message board says, I bet he'll be the next Xavier Watts. We can't just say like, well, that's crazy because this is crazy. So apparently crazy things happen. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe if somebody starts out, you know, with modest numbers and then, and then hits it hard from the middle of October on since uh, our last podcast, Nordame received a uh, commitment from Chris Mitchell, the wide receiver from Florida international. Uh, I think he's a, I think he's a good football player for Notre Dame. I love what he does in the open field. I look at him as like a number two type receiver. 
Did we talk about this? Was this? Did we talk a about this? We, we had a we had a question Monday that was who would be the number one type of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, so Josh Kelly has visited. Josh Kelly, the wide receiver from Washington State, has visited. Bo Collins from Clemson. I think Notre Dame fans are expecting to get all three. I wouldn't get. I wouldn't quite get your hopes up for all three. Uh, but but they're battling, and it's pretty amazing how quickly in this in this age of college football you can turn around a negative with guys entering the portal and make it a positive through the transfer portal yourself. Yes, yeah, I mean when I was sort of when the portal started, the intention was for Notre Dame to take seven guys. I think I even mentioned it on the podcast on Monday. Since then, I've been told the intention to take ten guys. So they're you know that requires a different strategy a little bit um 10 guys would imply the option of a third receiver um maybe a, a second defensive lineman um you know but i think some of that depends on you know what what does riley mills do what does jack kaiser do uh if they if they leave then you have to adjust in the portal because you're not going to be able to just sign a 22 year old linebacker or a 22 year old defensive lineman um unless it's from the portal so it um yeah they're being pretty aggressive about it um pretty proactive about it i think by the time some people listen to this podcast they may have one or two new portal commitments which is better than sometimes when people listen to this podcast they've had two or three portal defections every once yeah. in a while so that's not as fun either but you know i think if uh if mills or kaiser were to leave that heightens the need um if kaiser comes back it's like the only and, and mills of course you you can roll with what you have if one of those guys leaves i mean if kaiser leaves you cannot roll with what you have at linebacker because no. you don't have anybody above a redshirt freshman in grade. That's just insane. Um, Kaiser could really blend it all together. And I'm probably look, it's just silly for me to say this. Jack Kaiser could hurt his ankle week one. And then all of a sudden you should have had a linebacker, but I get it. Otherwise, if Kaiser comes back and Pete, you make a good point. You're not finding Jack Kaiser's replacement. Like I have hinted, you can find for some other positions in reserve in late April. He, ha if he were to leave or Mills were to leave, you would have to replace them here in December. Um, you can find a guy's replacement that's your third string runner, your your seventh wide receiver, your third. You can find guy. a Devin Ford in the spring. You can find oh, an sure. Antonio Carter in the spring. Um, yeah, they, can, they can help. You know, Devin Devin Ford helped, but it's you can't yeah. find Jack Kaiser. Now we talk about Chris Mitchell, Jordan uh, Jordan Clark, the nickelback from Arizona State, also is coming to Notre Dame. And I, I, Tim, I know that you talked to an Arizona State uh, beat writer. I, I am scouring scouring for quality film from Jordan Clark and I'm just not running into it. And I look at his numbers with 50 tackles. I know that, uh, that your insider said that he had a quad injury uh, during his senior season. I went back and looked at as much junior film as I could. And I just like, when we talk about Tariq Bracey and, and we talk about Thomas Harper, I don't see that player. And I, and that's asking a lot because those two guys are really, really good. Uh, Jordan Clark played, mostly zone coverage uh, in 23 at, though right according to uh, someone on our inside on our board that said in 22 a lot, it was safety, yeah. a lot of safety uh as as a junior but i just i i, I mean i'm not you know i'm looking for i'm looking for great things i want to say i want to say positive things about a recruit and i have i'm going to have to keep digging because i don't i don't see a difference maker right now at nickelback uh with that addition and i'm sure there's a good possibility that I'm missing good film, but I think I looked at about 150 to 200 snaps. 
His uh, it was interesting going through his stats versus Thomas Harper's last year's, and it was like, oh god, this is like it's not a like for like replacement. So then I went back and looked at Thomas Harper's stats from Oklahoma State because that's more of a like for like situation. Thomas Harper improved a ton in his one year at Notre Dame. He was about a, I think a 84 percent tackler at Oklahoma State and a ninety five percent tackler at Notre Dame. And, you know, Jordan Clark's going to have to make a similar improvement. He was about an 80% tackler at Arizona State, um, which wouldn't be good enough to play at Notre Dame at the level they need the defense to play at. But he, Thomas Harper made a big jump at Notre Dame. Um, when you get to play, in theory, with Xavier Watts behind you and Ben Morrison next to you, that makes things a little bit different. Um, and I think this will be particularly true with with Riley Leonard, too, like, these are not like just box ready to go players. They need to come to Notre Dame and develop even as seniors. Um, and that's that's something to just sort of keep in mind, I think, when you you look at stats, you look at tape. Um, because Priester, you're right. Like you just sort of see what Jordan Clark did at Arizona State. There's nothing that jumps off the the tape. Um, but if he can get to Notre Dame and work with a different defense coordinator and different personnel on defense. You get a you get a chance to take your game a step forward. I had Harper. Uh, I think Tim Ewell too as a top ten Notre Dame player this year. Yeah, um, and I still think Bracey. I think he had a better year than Bracey, but I had Bracey as a top six Notre Dame player last year because Notre Dame had better individual players on their team this year. Oh, right, right. Um, I will say Bracey took a massive step forward too into his last two years. I think. He took a huge step. He became famously good in his last year for among Notre Dame fans. Uh, he was very good as a senior as well. People just didn't recognize it in 2021 because I think the lingering thoughts of Bracey getting toasted in his first couple of years, people would never get rid of it until all of a sudden they're like, oh, I have to take a look at this guy in a different light. But even if he's not, even if Clark is not as good as uh, Harper or Bracey, and that's the most realistic thing is that he will not be as good as those two in the last two years, realistically speaking. It's worth noting, we go back to the quarterback conversation, sell me on Riley Leonard, and Pete and Tim, you both said, well, the, uh, we're not looking for a Heisman Trophy winner. We're looking for a guy to start over, in this case, Clarence Lewis. You're looking for someone to start over Clarence that Lewis is, right now. The, well, that, that, that is the option. I mean, I, look, and I, and I just want to clarify, he's a good athlete. He's light on his feet. He's bouncy. He's a good change of direction. But, you know, I mean, he's played mainly in, in like this past year, mainly in zone coverage. Look, we're, we're, he played for the 107th scoring defense in the country, and now the standard is one of the best defenses in the country. So he, yes, he's going to have to up his game significantly. I, if if he becomes, if he becomes Tariq Bracy or, or Thomas Harper, I'm going to say he's one of the most improved players I've seen. But frankly, right now, I want to I want to make this statement: I see more Houston Griffith than I do Thomas Harper. All right, podcast is over. I will talk to you guys next Monday. We'll all get together again. Um, I remember though, this another thing. This is apples to oranges again. AJB could not have improved more from Ohio State to what he did at Notre Dame. Yeah, but he was a but he was a natural passer. I I, I agree. I but agree. he played strong side, and we didn't think he played strong side. Yeah, he no. became a complete defensive yeah. end this year. I totally agree with that. But we knew he was a pass rusher. Coming yes. in, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't see one particular. I'm beating a dead horse here, and I don't want to do that. I want Jordan Clark to come in here and be a good nickelback for Notre Dame. I just have not. I'm saying, he, I'm not saying he won't. I'm saying I have not seen that. I bet you he's better than Houston Griffith. How's that? There you go. <laughs> I let uh, yes. 
opt-outs, further opt-outs. I was at, there's talk of JD Bertrand not participating in this game. I don't know if that's official. To me, that's like the equivalent of Drew Tranquil saying he's not playing in a bowl game. <laughs> if if and and I'm not and I'm not if that's what JD Bertrand chooses to do, the dude's given everything that he has for the University of Notre Dame and its football program. But if JD Bertrand opts out, every future Notre Dame player 100% is a candidate to opt out. Yeah, I mean, I've heard the same. I don't know what Bertrand will do um, at this point. I, whoever, yeah. whether it's yeah. whether it's Hartman or Alt or Estime or Bertrand or Leofile, what like, it's fine at this point. It's the Sun Bowl. Um, it feels like a spring game more than a postseason game, and that's just the reality we're living in. Um, there's, I have zero point zero percent judgment of anybody who doesn't want to play in the game. Two I'm not things. judging them. I'm not judging them negatively. I'm just saying that that's the last guy that I, that I. Yeah. Two things, Tim. If, if, uh, if Notre Dame has to travel for the spring game to El Paso, I am going to cover <laughs> for my TV, Pete and, <laughs> and Jack. Yeah. Uh, but uh, number two, um, if JD Bertrand sits out, I will go as far as to say he has a reason to sit out that has not the normal standard reason for sitting out of a game. He would not sit out of a game just to preserve well, he, he would know, not sit out of a game for a regular. He he. It will. There will be a reason behind JD Bertrand sitting out that is different than everybody else that sits out. He's had concussions. I, you don't. I. Who wants to get a concussion playing in the Sun Bowl? I. I. I, I get that. I, I do. And I'm not. I'm not. I'm the last guy to judge him negatively on something like this. I, I just. What. What hurts me, having been in the business as long as I have, is that the bowl games are, you know, especially now going to a 12 team playoff. I, the future of bowl games is not looking good at all. I I don't know what I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward. So this isn't possible, I guess. I mean, obviously, just logically speaking. But someone on our board had a great idea to preserve the bowls and the money they bring in and all that. I don't think it would work perfectly, but it's certainly better than the alternative. Is that the bowl game is like your out of conference game that starts your season? I mean, I know, I know it's, I know you're trying to find a way to make that work, but wouldn't it be a big, bigger draw and for teams to play? And there wouldn't be opt outs if it's game number two. Well, yeah, but, but what do you do in December? Like, what do you, Not, what do you... nothing? They don't play anymore. That's what's well, going to happen I'm anyway. I'm, okay, I'm, but you get to see I'm, it in game two. <laughs> I'm, well, yeah, but I mean, it's not, there's, the well, there's 12. How many, I mean, there's how many playoff games? There's, so you have 13 playoff games to watch, 11 playoff games to watch. Sorry. In December, that's pretty good. It's not forty-one now, is no, it? No, it is not. That, that's for sure. In in both yeah. good and bad ways. But. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim, you did a depth. You try. You attempted to put together a depth chart for this game. I mean, it is so fluid since we last talked. Uh, uh, Velling, the tight end for Oregon State, has opted out. He's a that's a major weapon for them. Um, Give us an idea what you've been, what you looked at as you put together a Notre Dame depth chart, which is uh, yeah, well, very fluid. Part, yes, it is. Uh, part of it was, I just want to make clear, like, this is not what Notre Dame's depth chart is going to look like when it comes out for the Sun Bowl. That one's going to look just like the old one, only they're going to replace guys that left with somebody else's name, and it will have nothing to do with the game that's being played. Um, yeah, my depth chart is who, you know, who should play and who their reasonable backups are here in these two weeks. Because more people are going to be playing varsity. Notre Dame's going to lose probably 
unannounced at least at least five more six more possibly unannounced guys it's not like they're new names but they're they're all off the depth chart so i tried to project what you could see from notre dame and the wide receivers since it's one game it's 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 kind of an ideal situation for what Pete calls the uh, December spring game here. You get to see Jaden Greathouse probably play two positions. Faison will play one. Jaden Thomas could play all three positions. Salerno will play two positions. Uh, you'll get to see Colsey come back probably. Maybe K.K. Smith can be up there and play a position. That's actually kind of fun. Um, the running back is obvious. You know, you're just going to go through the same same four. It's four people without estimate. Uh, I just think the tough thing for Angeli and for everybody that wanted to see Angeli start and the old theory of let's see what it looks like next year, even though he's not next year starter, is Steve Angeli is surrounded by backups at every position. Right. It's like you look at the the starting lineup against Navy. You know how many players will be probably playing in the bowl game from that, those 11? One, two? Two. Two, two. yeah. Two. And Jaden Thomas would be one of them who's returning from injury. The other one is Pat Coogan. Like that's, that is a, it's a strange... Strange reality we're living in with college football, but so it goes. I don't, well, um, yeah, it's like, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like the bowl season now is sort of like the postseason college all-star circuit where like the practices are what matter and like the game itself does not. Um, so that's like no coach is ever going to turn down an extra 12, 14, 13, 14, 15 practices. Um, but the game itself has sort of been, yeah, it's turned into a turned into a spring game. I, I won't go so far as to say that because they're renting a stadium and they're putting it on national TV. But I, I understand what you guys are saying. I also think this, I put this in Thursday Thoughts today, like a guy like Bertrand, you know, there's a trickle down effect of the other guys that are opting out. It's like, okay, I don't have Leofon next to me. Okay, I may not have JJB in front of me. Uh, I'm not going to have Cam Hart you know, at, at a cornerback position at a certain point, you can understand why a player is going to say that I, there's just no comfort zone for me playing in this football game. I, mean, I think, right. I think that we did. can, we can officially uh, call time of death on, but he needs to play in the bowl game to get more NFL tape. Like that's not a thing anymore. Um, Cause like, what would the end what, what tape would come from this game against Oregon State's backups with an interim head coach and a third string quarterback, there's nothing to show anymore. Like what's what could be shown has already been shown if you're a Notre Dame player. That happened against Ohio State and Clemson and USC and probably Duke and maybe Louisville. What happens against Oregon State is going to have no bearing on how pro scouts view you at all. And I will say this, uh, a matchup that we all want to look for in a game like this, uh, beware Steve Angeli, because Notre Dame's going to have two new offensive tackles playing, that's... and they're going against an Oregon State pass rush that's pretty darn good, 30-some uh, sacks. So keep an eye on that. He could be under, Angeli could be under quite a bit of duress. When you said... At what point do you not want to play because the people alongside you aren't there anymore? I mean, when do you think Sam Hartman made his decision? Just because the words were Sun Bowl or because Blake Fisher and Joe Alt were no longer at practice? I think, <laughs> that's, I mean, I think, it, I think it kind of went hand in hand, but um, I think the Sun Bowl was kind of like, okay, that's the, <laughs> just, that's the, the, the male bowl sounds worse <laughs> to me. I think I know the history of the Sun Bowl better than some people, I guess. Who could forget the three nothing Pittsburgh, Oregon State game from no, 2008? That was a beaut. I had the under. 
last thing, but last thing to remember, last thing to cover here in, in segment one, uh, real quickly, I did, Tyler Buckner is leaving Alabama to come to maybe Notre Dame, uh, but probably Notre Dame, but he's going to play lacrosse. And I would just like to say Tyler Buckner, tremendous decision. Now that I found out how much he made at Alabama, I guess that wasn't that bad of a decision either. No. Hey, can I play message board fun right now? Tyler Buckner will be there for the game though, right? To win a national championship possibly for two games. He's not leaving. He's going to hang out with Alabama, right? Or did he enter oh. the portal for, he's staying to play with Alabama for the bowl game or for the uh, two playoff games. It's, it doesn't kind I'm of just playing message board. Let's say, Mil- let's say Milrow gets hurt and Ty Simpson gets hurt or something along those lines. And then Tyler Buckner walks off a champion and moves on to Notre Dame and becomes a champion in two sports in one semester. Why did he announce he was, he was going but it's to the, play? It's the lacrosse portal, not the football portal, right? He can play football. Nick Saban is going to kind of see a <laughs> distinction between those two. I think he is still playing. I actually think he's still playing. I'll look it up for, so we don't have bad radio while we go to break. Uh, he's not playing. If, uh, if no, he's if, not. If, if continues to play. Playing's a strong term, but it's like the fish on the menu. Yeah. He's participating. He's yeah, there. yeah, yeah. We're coming back. Segment two, burning up the boards. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit GameDayYourWay.com. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is from our old friend Sigils. Rank these full four bowl game scenarios in order of how pumped you are to witness them. The first one he offers is the new offensive line composition as a possible preview to 24. The second is young linebackers getting a ton of action. The third would be a full game of phase on a punt returner, which I haven't even thought about, but now I'm excited. And the fourth is Steve Angeli starting at quarterback. I mean, I'm pumped for none of these things. Um, well, I'm th- interested. I'm interested in Angeli starting at quarterback. The But the other three things don't move the needle at all. Um, and I realize this bowl game may be kind of tough to pick out. I mean, that's why it's a spring game, right? Like you're you're picking out little matchups here or there that might intrigue you. Um, and there will be some maybe that pop up. Um, but other than Angeli, I'm not sure. I don't know what, you know, Drake Bowen at Mike linebacker, but only if Jack Kaiser also plays would be kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, that would be interesting. I would, but that would pumped is not how I would describe um, <laughs> my approach to these uh, matchups. I'm because of what I said about Oregon State's pass rush. I'm very, very interested to see what Tosh Baker and Emil Wagner do at tackle. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very interested in seeing Angeli play a game at quarterback. But we also know that there's a very high chance that um, they're bringing somebody else in to be the starting quarterback next year. I do. I, I agree with you, Pete. Drake Bowen's a guy that you know. That's a guy that we have an opportunity to probably see extensively maybe Jalen Sneed a little bit more extensively and turning the page at punt returner with Jordan Faison absolutely I you know I'm not sure how many actual real opportunities he'll have to return them but let's see how he catches them and and uh, maybe we can see him in action a little bit 
I'm going to say that Jordan Faison should not be allowed to fair catch in this game and just try to score every time he gets the ball. But the new offensive line, it can be interesting because that's the only one that, well, Faison, but the new offensive line composition greatly <laughs> affects next season. I know they're going to they're gonna try to get an offensive tackle in the portal because they absolutely need one. Um, but you're still looking at four starters for next season playing no matter what, maybe and maybe five contributors playing. Um, see the young linebackers getting a ton of time. I, I think you're going to go nickel as much as you can to keep Thomas Harper on the field with Jack Kaiser and ideally JD Bertrand, ideally for our subscribers, Drake Bowen. Um, and then Jelly starting at quarterback is the entire story of the game, but all that lets you know is how much do you want him to play? Well, Riley Leonard, the, here's a good point. It was on our board. This is not my point. Riley Leonard, the way he plays football probably won't start healthy 12 games next season. The way he attacks football, the way he runs, the way he—I mean, he stayed know. healthy the year before. I, I understand the point, but I mean, he stayed healthy the year before. I, I do want to point out that, um, you know, that the two quarterbacks, uh, Uli Ungalale, of course, opted out, as did Aiden Childs, and I think I said on Monday that Ben Gulbrinson threw one pass this year, and he, which is true, one pass, one completion, six yards. But he did start the last eight games last year, and they were seven and one in the eight games that he started. He had a nine to five touchdown interception ratio, MVP percentage of Las Vegas Bowl MVP, Las Vegas Bowl MVP. So, in terms of experience, Notre Dame's facing a quarterback that's going to be much more experienced than Steve Angeli. You know who else went seven and one before we read this next one was Matt Lavecchio, and he was also involved loosely with Oregon State. So there we go. ND base 2001. Is there anything to the Riley Leonard to Ohio State smoke? And if so, are you aware of any backup plans for Notre Dame? Uh, Pete, do you, is there no a, and no smoke? Like, I mean, uh, Ohio I, State evaluated Riley Leonard and they did not like him. Yeah. This is uh, this is Notre Dame's to win. We should today's Thursday. We should know soon. But I, you know what? I do want to. I, I want to throw in the next question with this, Tim, from Irish Gambler, because this is something I thought about. How, how likely is it for a quarterback to transfer out before the Sun Bowl if the Irish pick up someone like Riley Leonard in December? I don't think that that would happen, but well, he, it did he it did it did occur to me that if he announces here this week, still Angeli's got an opportunity to start a football game. He told him I'm bringing in. A graduate transfer. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, I don't think Angeli's not going to pass up an opportunity to start a game. I, that would that's, that's that would shock me. Like, unless it's, hey, I need to go find my next spot um, now. I mean, that was sort of what Drew, that was Drew Pine's approach last year. It was like, well, if you're bringing in somebody, that means that I'm not starting, which means I need to go get started on finding my next spot. That seems unlikely. Um, it's something you got to be aware of, I think, if you're Notre Dame, but seems unlikely. I feel you like know, Steve Angeli would have entered the portal last week. Well, right. And Angeli wants to put some tape out there. If he if he does want to transfer, he's going to want to play in this game to show a little bit of what he can do. I don't know. This is all such it's all such new territory that, you know, we're projecting about things that we've never had to consider or project before. This was my joke about Buckner playing the message board. What if Steve Angeli transfers and Kenny Minchie gets hurt and Dylan DeVizen has to play? Can CJ Carr play? Well, that's how I'm getting Tyler Buckner in the playoff game. Just everything could happen. You never know. <laughs> Got it. CJ Carr can't play in the bowl game. He cannot play in the bowl game. It's uh, all the reasons are there. Or nor can he receive bowl game swag, which I thought is kind of uh, ironic in the NIL era because they could just give him money. Yes, and they do. 
I have I have two questions here from Mound City Domer. Um, assuming Audrey Gestime is out, a limited wide receiver group, an offensive line rolling in backups and a second string quarterback, do you expect ball control running attack as the plan, or is there a chance to have some fun and let it rip? And then he also asked about Maris Leofal being out. How do you see the linebackers lining up in the Sun Bowl? I'll take the second part first because um, I think it's Rover. Instead of Rover, I mean, it's Nickel with Harper. You put your best players out there. So Harper, Bertrand, and Kaiser. Or if Bertrand opts out, Harper, Owen, and Kaiser. So the real question is, where does Sneed play? I would find a place for Sneed to play if he can do it, because I think you should keep enticing players to stay on your roster until the portal ends. Yeah, I would I would agree with the starting lineup, and I would agree with the push to get Sneed just force the action a little bit there, which they, they sort of kind of did last year in the bowl game. Um, right. But like, That's just true. you want to keep Jalen Sneed sort of engaged and like, hey, here's where things are going once our roster turns over a little bit. Uh, the first question from Elm City Domer, I don't, I don't think the have fun and let it rip is kind of in the playbook um, with you know what they've lost at wide receiver. I'm not sure who you're letting it rip with. Um, there are some, you know, Flanagan and Rarden, Great House, Faison. There's some material there, um, but uh, I would think you're still probably better off trying to get the ball to Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price on the handoff. Yeah, I mean, we we may talk about spring scrimmages and stuff like that. It's still a game, and the offensive coordinator needs to have a good needs to have a good game. The head coach desperately wants to win his tenth game. I don't, I don't. Again, I, I I I don't think this is how coaches view these things, generally speaking. But we know they don't view it as a spring game. The coaches, because there's some issues going on with the people not playing. But I want to go back to Priester's point. Let's say the wide receivers have a phenomenal two and a half weeks and there's a lot of faith in Thomas, Greathouse, and Faison, which, by the way, if there were no transfers out, are still their three best wide receivers when healthy. Thomas, yes. Greathouse, and Faison. Bring them all back. They're still the three best. The tackles protecting against a pass rush is the problem with trying to rely on a let-it-rip passing game with your backup quarterback and your backup tackles. Yeah, Agreed. Question from GR Irish Fan 22 Is there any chance... We will see split time at quarterback between Angeli and Minchie in the bowl game. Mm, that's probably a it's like a spring game bridge too far. Um I don't I don't think that you would do that. Let's say in the old days there's no graduate transfer quarterback coming in. Then I could see it happening. If Minchie would have earned it. Let's this is let's say these are their two plus CJ Carr for next year. There is no such thing as bringing in a guy to start for you. You might want to see a little bit of it of Minchie have a package in the bowl game. But now, it, what's the point of that? Yeah, I wouldn't. That, that's not a bad idea. I wouldn't split reps because then you're then you're taking away from both quarterbacks. I think to a large degree, uh, maybe maybe a package. I, I I think we're overthinking this. Your quarterback's not playing. You go to the number two guy. This is the guy that everybody wanted to see. Now we want to see Minchie too. I think that's asking a little bit too much in preparation for a game in which everything is so j- disjointed to begin with. Next question from Life Unleashed LLC, new contributor here to Irish Illustrated Insider, I think. Who would be perceived as the number one receiver for Notre Dame if Chris Mitchell, Bo Collins, and Josh Kelly all joined the wide receiver room? 
I, I was kind of pressed on this on the message board, and I said something about Bo Collins, and then, well, you said Bo Collins is number one, and then Josh Kelly. Like, I don't know if any one of these – I mean, Josh Kelly is probably the closest to a true number one, and I really like his game. I like his underneath game. I, I don't see a ton of separation with DBs from him. Now, he has great hands. He makes some of the most sensational catches you're going to see, but I don't see him get a ton of, uh, a ton of separation. So I think that – that kind of makes you hard to be a number one. I don't, I don't know if any one of these is really a true, true number one. I like Chris Mitchell's game. Bo Collins has dealt with injuries. Somebody compared him to Deion Colsey. I don't compare a guy with 91 receptions to a guy with 16 receptions. Bo Collins has 11 touchdowns in the last three years, and I think Notre Dame's wide receivers had 11 touchdowns this year. Yeah, so he's so better he than he, 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 ha- he has had injuries. Yeah. There are some consistency issues with him, but that trio thrown together with the, the the numbers that are still on the roster, it'd be a pretty damn good, pretty damn good receiving core. I think during the season we talked about how Notre Dame didn't have a number one receiver; they had a bunch of number twos. I think in reality they had a bunch of number threes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they had a number two, but I think if you had Mitchell, Kelly, and Collins, I would revisit the maybe Notre Dame doesn't have a true number one. They have a lot of like really good number two receivers. Throw Jaden Thomas in there as well. Like you could do some damage with those four guys um, on top of Greyhouse and Faison. Like that would finally, 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 you would look at Northern's receiver room and be like, hey, they have some options here to like kind of mix and match how they want to play. Um, so I don't, I don't know if any of them are a true legit number one, but it would be that would be a nice group. This is irrelevant to real football, but it's fun for this. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Who is Notre Dame's number one wide receiver next year? Does he come out of those three transfers if they all show up? They all show up as part of the deal. Or is it Thomas Faison or Greathouse? Is it the current guys or the other guys? One pick. One guy becomes it from the group. You just say which group, Notre Dame or transfers? Notre Dame. I think it will be Jaden Thomas. I would say transfers if... uh... I mean, I just, I, Josh Kelly's a volume, Chris Mitchell's a volume guy. I was thinking great house healthy could be, <laughs> you know, look, if, that, if that's the issue they've got as, I, I, as Pete described it, I agree with that. I'm not sure that it's a true, true number. I, I, I think Kelly to a large degree is that, but you would have a bunch of quality receivers. There's, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Our next question looks ahead. Denver Maximus with Mike Elko and now Colin Klein as offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. How daunting will this opener be for the Irish? I think they'll probably lose. More daunting than it used to be. I can tell you that much. <laughs> oh, yeah. the uh, I mean, it, when I saw that Colin Klein was Mike Elko's offensive coordinator, that was like, is this real life? Is this happening? Like, it's like, a, it's like someone... It's like a script has been written, uh, and uh, this is the latest plot twist for Marcus Freeman and Jared Parker because, wow, um, that's just going to be a lot of pressure on Notre Dame's offense coordinator to have a great game plan in week one against Mike Elko. It is, and Mike Elko, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind Mike Elko would have loved to have been the head coach of Notre Dame, and now that's not going to – I mean, that's yeah, just, I mean, do you think Mike Elko has a good scouting report understanding of what Riley Leonard's strengths and weaknesses are? <laughs> exactly. That's why I don't like this. I, plus it's at A&M. I mean, as I sit here right now, Notre Dame's an underdog. There's, I don't think it's no doubt. There's an A doubt about it. Yeah. 
And it's like it's a game like way in advance. But if Notre Dame lost to Texas and I'm like, that's fine. It just needs to be like, I don't know, 24-21, like with three offensive touchdowns. Like it, I was gonna say it might need to be like 34-31 if you're looking for something to make the masses happier. That's yeah, it just like the the offense has to have a good day, um, or good night, or whenever that game will be played. But um, yeah, it just it adds it adds just a little extra. I would advise people to not shake too much in their boots over Texas A&M and Notre Dame in the opener, but Mike Elko and Colin Klein adds quite a bit. But really, Mike Elko adds the most. If it was well, some I, coach that hired Colin Klein, we wouldn't care what was going on right now. I mean, the Mike Elko part is the Mike El- is the thing. And the talent that you know is on their roster, the way they've they've been recruiting. I, I they get. I mean, they've had plenty of attrition though, haven't they? I, yeah, I'm they've sure. had a lot. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. But now, you know, Elko can jump back into the, the portal and, and look, everybody has already declared next year's schedule a disaster. What if Notre Dame's on one? And then you got to, then you have those uh, remaining 11 games. You, you've got to win them all in order to get any respect from your fan base. You virtually have to win all of them. If you, I mean, they're going to be an, they're going to be an underdog at Texas a and next year. <laughs> no, I, I don't know how there's any other way to, you know, and that's that's not going to be an easy place to play with, you know, a, a really, really competent head coach. You can win uh, as underdogs, just saying, you know. Yeah, basketball question for you, uh, Tim. Is that where we are? Yeah. Yep. Uh, from Fan 8 Basketball question, have you guys been more encouraged by the defensive effort and rebounding of the men's basketball team or more discouraged by the lack of scoring on offense? I like the question, but both things were just completely playing out as forecasted by really anyone listening to Coach Shrewsbury or that saw the roster. They're, uh, I'm not surprised they can't score, and there was no way this team would not have high defensive effort and rebounding the way they were built. And when you look at some of the bodies they have out there, I think the most encouraging thing is you look out there and you feel like there's some athletes that can get in the way of ACC players and stop them from scoring inside. There were not last year. And I don't mean ACC, I, unless Lipscomb went to the ACC, of any player getting in there and scoring, because they couldn't stop anyone inside last year. Lips, Lipscomb tore them apart. Oh, it was uh, incredible inside. Yeah, no, the one thing, one of the things I like about Shrewsbury is that he, despite just trying to piece together a roster, he has length. He has yeah. length, yes. and he yeah. has some athleticism, and that's why I continue to bemoan in my head not having Lubin and Starling, because they'd be a pretty damn good team if you had those two guys thrown into this, but I am way more encouraged by the defensive effort than the rebounding. I'm, I'm pretty much echoing you, Tim, than I am discouraged with the offense. Cause we knew the offense was going to be trouble yeah. and they are legitimately playing defense and rebounding. They have length. It matters to them. It's a different, it's a different team and program than it was, but they can't score. That's yep. going to be a problem all year. Next from Martin Evenflow, Emil Wagner has looked light in the weight department since arriving on campus. Do you think he can handle a 12-game season at right tackle at 288, or does he need another 30 pounds? That's a lot of pounds. So does he need to be 288 or 318? He will be, what do you think, 302, 307? He'll be I, alive. I think, I think he'll probably be be around uh, 300. Look, he's got to be who he is uh, he, his entire life. He's had trouble putting on weight. When we saw him in August, I guess late July and then August, uh, and he was 288. You could see he was a lot bigger. That was really, really encouraging that he got up to, to 288. If he can get around 300, to me, that's a that's a good working weight for him. Absolutely. 
are you saying when we saw him in August, guys, when he was reported as the starting guard somewhere else? Not not from Irish Illustrator or I mean, The Athletic. Now, I might you're, add you're, you're saying an inside joke, and we're going to get in trouble if we don't explain your inside joke. Well, I mean, you know, you should just read other people's practice reports, and you'll realize Tyler Buckner had a great day and Emil Wagner starting a guard. Because <laughs> you make up things sometimes, apparently. I think, to get back to Emil Wagner, like, he's too good of an athlete not to be a solid college offensive lineman. Like, and I really, he's, I don't think he's ever going to be 318. Um, but I don't think he needs to be 318. I mean, it's like he's the, he's kind of one of your prototypical small forward power forwards who happen to be an offensive tackle. Um, he's got great feet. You know, he's got a lot to learn fundamentally, and that's fine. But um, I'm not, not overly concerned about Emil Wagner, whether he gets to 298 or 308 or, 318 I think naturally the weight will will come on and he should be a good good college player yeah I, I just think he'll be better served around 300 than 288 but uh, this is what I don't why is Baker not a right tackle and Wagner a left tackle I don't know for a fact that that's what it is I think maybe Baker was closer to the field Tim so you would in no way ever replace Joe Alt for any reason in 2023 and not that you're looking to replace Blake Fisher with Josh Baker but it's kind of like um I'm trying to think I blanked on the name when you had Mike McGlinchey at left tackle and you had the duo at right tackle you had Eichenberg wasn't going to play at the time at all so you to keep it with varsity, you put him behind McGlinchey, but in reality, he'd have been battling more with Hainsey and Kramer than in any way battling with McGlinchey. I think sometimes you just kind of fill in the chart so they have yeah. two deep roles. Um, I'm with you. I think Baker would be a right tackle. That's tackle. It, it's a it's certainly a question I have for Joe Rudolph. Yeah, when we when we get to that point, uh, if if we get to that point, what what do you think about that, Pete? I yeah, I'm with you on that. It's I, I look at Wagner's athleticism and look, Baker was a, a basketball player in high school as well. I just don't think that his foot speed is nearly yeah, what Emil Wagner's that. is. No, it's not. He is mammoth, man. He is large. He is no. And that's why, yeah, his foot speed. Yeah. I know he's a basketball player too, but it, it can't be anywhere uh, near what Wagner's is. So I'm just curious about that. Curious about that. We'll see what happens uh, as they move forward, but boy, it's going to be, they're they're going to be on an island a little bit against Oregon State unless Oregon State has some more uh, opt outs. They got a kid named Andrew Chatfield Jr. who has I think he leads them in sacks with nine. He has nine tackles for loss. They are all sacks. So any he eligibility has, remaining? Uh, <laughs> probably. <laughs> he he uh, he absolutely is is a guy that is a pass rush specialists and those two tackles will probably have to deal with him. Hey, does anybody know, uh, speaking of eligibility remaining, if number nine from Tennessee State could visit? Because he had a heck of a day against Notre Dame's right tackle. Yeah, he was good. He was really good. We have a question from Lost6582. Will Marcus Freeman be up for an extension after the 2024 season? Will he get it if Notre Dame does not make the playoffs? Oh uh, yeah, well, O'Malley and I had the same facial reaction on that one. Like, it's, well, I did forget. I did briefly forget about the twelve-team playoff thing. I was about to. I totally forgot. I was about to say, well, that's kind of harsh, right? If you come in number five or six, but that's the yes. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, I, I do think making the playoff is the new minimum. Did you have a successful season? Yes or no? No qualification one way or the other uh, for Notre Dame. 
and that's fine. Like that's, I think that's a reasonable expectation in a way that making the playoff in the four team era was not. Um, yeah, you so you know, full credit for them for making it twice in the last you know ten years. I think that's great, but I don't, I don't know what Notre Dame will do in that instance. I really don't. Um, if he makes it, he's extended. If he doesn't. I don't know. It just you're. Are, are we under, under the impression it's a five year deal or a six year deal? It was six, no six originally. Okay, then maybe you can wait another year because there's yeah. still three years remaining. But um, we're co- I, we're it's we're coming to a point in that contract where you got to start thinking about how you see beyond it. Yeah, and coaches, you know, having five years of of contract remaining is important because. When you recruit somebody, especially linemen, you know, I'm going to be here for your five years, so to speak. Now, I mean, had he beaten Clemson, he may have already gotten that extension. Right. Which is still a weird way for me to look at things. Because Clemson was our injured team. Notre Dame was favored on the road against an injured team. I'm not saying he wouldn't deserve an extension. I'm just saying that's what gets you an extension. I mean, I, if, if they make the playoffs next year, I think he will be extended after the season. I, I agree. No, I agree. Yeah. Um, and that would probably mean that they improve from eight and four to nine and three to 10 and two during the regular season. But yeah, nine and three next year would not get, I mean, nine and three this year wouldn't, didn't get them in. Um, but nine and three next year cannot get them in. No, <laughs> no, it's not even close. Um, three losses. Not saying that there won't be any three loss teams in the playoffs, but from Notre Dame's perspective, I mean they're a pretty talented three loss team right now to be ranked. What are, what where they settled in at sixteenth? Sixteenth? Yeah. I mean they're pretty highly thought of too. In terms of like they they didn't drop like a rock until they had to. Sometimes Notre Dame loses and there's nine spots drop. You know, but they, that didn't happen until the Clemson loss. They never they were not out of sight, out of mind. They still had a chance there. Well, that's the difference between losing to, you know, Ohio State, a, a really yeah. good edition of of uh, Louisville, and and Clemson being Clemson. Who you lose to Marshall and Stanford? Yeah, you're going, you're yeah. going to yeah. ballot, ballot. Yeah. Final question, kind of weird one <laughs> from Blood of Zeus. Notre Dame has never beaten an OSU team, Ohio State, Oregon State, or Oklahoma State in a bowl game. Does Steve Angeli finally lead them to the promised land? And I would like a definition of promised land if the first answer comes out here, guys. <laughs> I uh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Those bowl games all stunk in their own way, but the Insight Bowl in two thousand four had to be the worst, right? I had a I had a a laptop that was on the fritz, and it wasn't a very competitive football game. The media hotel was still the Camelback Inn, though, so I don't. I don't. I don't know what you're, I don't know what the problem was. Ah, uh, very true. Very yeah. true. Um, it was, was a. It was a bowl sponsored by an internet provider that did not provide internet for the game. So that was <laughs> that was what the insight bowl was. But it's I. Yeah, I don't know. I'd probably turn this question around. Like, based on Notre Dame's bowl history with Oregon State, which Oregon State player will rip Notre Dame and then be a future head coach at Oregon State? Uh, because Jonathan Smith from the Fiesta Bowl did it, and then. Uh, Bray, uh, Trent Bray oh, right. was the defensive MVP of that insight bowl and now is the head coach. So 
Notre Dame will play Oregon State in a future bowl game, and their head coach is probably their, I don't know, maybe their their starting Mike linebacker. <laughs> I that I Notre Dame's odds in this game against the OSU team are probably better than they've been in in any of them. I guess well, they they're a lot better than the first one. I can tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. They might have been a slight favorite against Oklahoma State. Is that right? But yeah, one, they were like a one point favorite. That one got away from it. I don't know anything about promised land or anything like that. I think Norden can win this game. It'll be interesting to see where the line ends up. Um uh, because so many opt outs. I mean so many really quality players for Oregon State, but it Nordame just as many, certainly. Have you worked in the, uh, I've requested the pat down celebration from the 2001 Fiesta Bowl with Hushmanzada and Chad Johnson, because that is still the funniest touchdown dance I have ever seen in my entire life. Why don't you go ahead and explain that for everybody? When Hushmanzada scored a touchdown, I don't know what it made it. It was probably 34 to nine at that point as he put his hands over his head and Chad Johnson came in and patted him down. Now that's funny. That's, that is a touchdown dance. Probably can't do that one anymore, but it was funny. We're gonna be uh we're gonna be back on Monday. That is uh the tenth of December. I'm not sure exactly. We'll probably know more about Nordame's roster moving forward just about every time we come back for another uh for another uh podcast. Not not so much for this game coming up, but I mean beyond this season and 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 moving forward. Tim, it got quiet, got didn't it? it got quiet, didn't it? The uh the portal this week, the official portal week got very uh, quiet after last did. week. It'll it'll get worked up again sometime shortly after that that bowl game. So I mean, it's all new territory for us. You don't know. That Notre Dame is certainly going to bring be bringing in more candidates to transfer into Notre Dame, and so we're going to stay busy with this. We'll stay busy with trying to uh, handicap a, a bowl game that's lost a, a lot of its luster. I would love to have seen these two teams at full strength go against each other because I think it would have been a great match. But until next week, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, you've been listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>